Trial of William Tinkling by Charles Dickens This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Linda Siano. The Trial of William Tinkling. Written by himself at the age of eight years. By Charles Dickens. Forward. The story contained herein was written by Charles Dickens in 1867. It is the first of four stories entitled Holiday Romance, and was published originally in a children's magazine in America. It purports to be written by a child aged eight. It was republished in England in All the Year Round in 1868. For this and four other Christmas pieces, Dickens received £1,000. Holiday Romance was published in book form by Messrs. Chapman and Hall in 1874 with Edwin Drood and other stories. For this reprint, the text of the story as it appeared in All the Year Round has been followed. The Trial of William Tinkling This beginning part is not made out of anybody's head, you know. It's real. You must believe this beginning part more than what comes after, else you won't understand how what comes after came to be written. You must believe it all, but you must believe this most, please. I am the editor of it. Bob Redforth he's my cousin, and shaking the table on purpose. Wanted to be the editor of it, but I said he shouldn't, because he couldn't. He has no idea of being an editor. Nettie Ashford is my bride. We were married in the right-hand closet in the corner of the dancing school where first we met, with a ring, a green one, from Wilkingwater's toy shop. I owed for it out of my pocket money. When the rapturous ceremony was over, we all four went up the lane and let off a cannon, brought loaded in Bob Redforth's waistcoat pocket, to announce our nuptials. It flew right up when it went off and turned over. Next day, Lieutenant Colonel Robin Redforth was united, with similar ceremonies, to Alice Rainbow bird. This time the cannon bust with a most terrific explosion and made a puppy bark. My peerless bride was, at the period of which we now treat, in captivity at Miss Grimmer's. Drowvy and Grimmer is the partnership, and opinion is divided which is the greatest beast. The lovely bride of the colonel was also immured in the dungeons of the same establishment. A vow was entered into between the colonel and myself that we would cut them out on the following Wednesday when walking two and two. Under the desperate circumstances of the case, the active brain of the colonel, combining with his lawless pursuit, 
he is a pirate, suggested an attack with fireworks. This, however, from motives of humanity, was abandoned as too expensive. Lightly armed with a paper knife buttoned up under his jacket, and waving the dreaded black flag at the end of a cane, the colonel took command of me at 2 p.m. on the eventful and appointed day. He had drawn out the plan of attack on a piece of paper, which was rolled up round a hoop-stick. He showed it to me. My position and my full-length portrait, but my real ears don't stick out horizontal, was behind a corner lamp-post, with written orders to remain there till I should see Miss Drowvey fall. The Drowvey who was to fall was the one in spectacles, not the one with the large lavender bonnet. At that signal I was to rush forth, seize my bride, and fight my way to the lane. There a junction would be effected between myself and the Colonel, and putting our brides behind us, between ourselves and the palings, we were to conquer or die. The enemy appeared, approached. Waving his black flag, the colonel attacked. Confusion ensued. Anxiously I awaited my signal, but my signal came not. So far from falling, the hated drowvy in spectacles appeared to me to have muffled the colonel's head in his outlawed banner, and to be pitching into him with a parasol. The one in the lavender bonnet also performed prodigies of valour with her fists on his back. Seeing that all was for the moment lost, I fought my desperate way hand to hand to the lane. Through taking the back road I was so fortunate as to meet nobody, and arrived there uninterrupted. It seemed an age ere the colonel joined me. He had been to the jobbing-tailors, to be sewn up in several places, and attributed our defeat to the refusal of the detested Drowvey to fall. Finding her so obstinate, he had said to her in a loud voice, Die, recreant! but had found her no more open to reason on that point than the other. My blooming bride appeared, accompanied by the colonel's bride, at the dancing-school next day. What? Was her face averted from me? Ha! Even so! With a look of scorn she put into my hand a bit of paper, and took another partner. On the paper was penciled, Heavens! Can I write the word? Is my husband a cow? In the first bewilderment of my heated brain, I tried to think what slanderer could have traced my family to the ignoble animal mentioned above. Vain were my endeavors. At the end of that dance, I whispered the colonel to come into the cloak-room, and I showed him the note. There is a syllable wanting, said he, with a gloomy brow. Ha! What syllable? was my inquiry. She asks, can she write the word? And no, you see she couldn't, said the colonel, pointing out the passage. 
and the word was said i cow cow coward hissed the pirate colonel in my ear and gave me back the note feeling that i must forever tread the earth a branded boy person i mean or that i must clear up my honour i demanded to be tried by a court-martial the colonel admitted my right to be tried some difficulty was found in composing the court on account of the emperor of france's aunt refusing to let him come out he was to be the president ere yet we had appointed a substitute he made his escape over the back wall and stood among us a free monarch the court was held on the grass by the pond i recognized in a certain admiral among my judges my deadliest foe a coconut had given rise to language that i could not brook but confiding in my innocence and also in the knowledge that the president of the united states who sat next to him owed me a knife i braced myself for the ordeal it was a solemn spectacle that court two executioners with pinafores reversed led me in under the shade of an umbrella i perceived my bride supported by the bride of the pirate colonel the president having reproved a little female ensign for tittering on a matter of life or death called upon me to plead coward or no coward guilty or not guilty i pleaded in a firm tone no coward and not guilty the little female ensign being again reproved by the president for misconduct mutinied left the court and threw stones my implacable enemy the admiral conducted the case against me the colonel's bride was called to prove that I had remained behind the corner lamp-post during the engagement. I might have been spared the anguish of my own bride's being also made a witness to the same point, but the admiral knew where to wound me. Be still, my soul, no matter. The colonel was then brought forward with his evidence. It was for this point that I had saved myself up as the turning point of my case. Shaking myself free of my guards, who had no business to hold me the stupids unless I was found guilty, I asked the colonel what he considered the first duty of a soldier. Ere he could reply, the President of the United States rose and informed the court that my foe the Admiral had suggested bravery and that prompting a witness wasn't fair. The president of the court immediately ordered the admiral's mouth to be filled with leaves and tied up with string. I had the satisfaction of seeing the sentence carried into effect before the proceedings went further. I then took a paper from my trousers pocket and asked, What do you consider, Colonel Redforth, the first duty of a soldier? Is it obedience it is said the colonel is that paper please to look at it in your hand it is 
said the Colonel. Is it a military sketch? It is, said the Colonel. Of an engagement? Quite so, said the Colonel. Of the late engagement? Of the late engagement. Please to describe it, and then hand it to the President of the Court. From that triumphant moment, my sufferings and my dangers were at an end. The Court rose up and jumped on discovering that I had strictly obeyed orders. My foe, the Admiral, who, though muzzled, was malignant yet, contrived to suggest that I was dishonoured by having quitted the field. But the Colonel himself had done as much, and gave his opinion, upon his word and honour as a pirate, that when all was lost, the field might be quitted without disgrace. I was going to be found no coward and not guilty, and my blooming bride was going to be publicly restored to my arms in a procession, when an unlooked-for event disturbed the general rejoicing. This was no other than the Emperor of France's aunt catching hold of his hair. The proceedings abruptly terminated, and the court tumultuously dissolved. It was when the shades of the next evening but one were beginning to fall, ere yet the silver beams of Luna touched the earth, that four forms might have been descried slowly advancing toward the weeping willow on the borders of the pond, the now deserted scene of the day before yesterday's agonies and triumphs. On a nearer approach, and by a practised eye, these might have been identified as the forms of the pirate colonel with his bride, and of the day before yesterday's gallant prisoner with his bride. On the beauteous faces of the nymphs, dejection sat enthroned. All four reclined under the willow for some minutes without speaking, till at length the bride of the colonel poutingly observed, It's of no use pretending any more, and we had better give it up. Ha! exclaimed the pirate, pretending? Don't go on like that, you worry me, returned his bride. The lovely bride of Tinkling echoed the incredible declaration. The two warriors exchanged stony glances. If, said the bride of the pirate colonel, grown-up people won't do what they ought to do, and will put us out, what comes of our pretending? We only get into scrapes, said the bride of Tinkling. You know very well, pursued the colonel's bride, that Miss Drowvey wouldn't fall. You complained of it yourself, and you know how disgracefully the court-martial ended. As to our marriage, would my people acknowledge it at home? Or would my people acknowledge ours? said the bride of Tinkling. Again, the two warriors exchanged stony glances. "'If you knocked at the door and claimed me, after you were told to go away,' said the colonel's bride, "'you would only have your hair pulled, or your ears, or your nose. 
if you persisted in ringing at the bell and claiming me said the bride of tinkling to that gentleman you would have things dropped on your head from the window over the handle or you would be played upon by the garden engine and at your own homes resumed the bride of the colonel it would be just as bad you would be sent to bed or something equally undignified again how would you support us the pirate colonel replied in a courageous voice by rapine but his bride retorted suppose the grown-up people wouldn't be rapined then said the colonel they should pay the penalty in blood but suppose they should object retorted his bride and wouldn't pay the penalty in blood or anything else a mournful silence ensued then do you no longer love me alice asked the colonel redforth i am ever thine returned his bride then do you no longer love me nettie asked the present writer tinkling i am ever thine returned my bride we all four embraced let me not be misunderstood by the giddy the colonel embraced his own bride and i embraced mine but two times two make four nettie and i said alice mournfully have been considering our position the grown-up people are too strong for us they make us ridiculous besides they have changed the times william tinkling's baby brother was christened yesterday what took place was any king present answer william i said no unless disguised as great uncle chopper any queen there had been no queen that i knew of at our house there might have been one in the kitchens but i didn't think so or the servants would have mentioned it any fairies none that were visible we had an idea among us i think said alice with a melancholy smile we four that miss grimmer would prove to be the wicked fairy and would come in at the christening with her crutch stick and give the child a bad gift was there anything of that sort answer william i said that ma had said afterwards and so she had that great uncle chopper's gift was a shabby one but she hadn't said a bad one she had called it shabby electrotyped second-hand and below his income it must be the grown-up people who have changed all this said alice we couldn't have changed it if we had been so inclined and we never should have been or perhaps miss grimmer is a wicked fairy after all and won't act up to it because the grown-up people have persuaded her not to either way they would make us ridiculous if we told them what we expected tyrants muttered the pirate colonel nay my redforth said alice say not so call not names my redforth or they will apply to pa let em said the colonel i don't care who's he tinkling here undertook the perilous task of remonstrating with his lawless friend who consented to withdraw the moody expressions above quoted 
what remains for us to do alice went on in her mild wise way we must educate we must pretend in a new manner we must wait the colonel clenched his teeth four out in front and a piece off another and he had been twice dragged to the door of a dentist despot but had escaped from his guards how educate how pretend in a new manner how wait educate the grown-up people replied alice we part to-night yes redforth for the colonel tucked up his cuffs part to-night let us in these next holidays now going to begin throw our thoughts into something educational for the grown-up people hinting to them how things ought to be let us veil our meaning under a mask of romance you i and nettie william tinkling being the plainest and quickest writer shall copy out is it agreed the colonel answered sulkily i don't mind he then asked how about pretending we will pretend said alice that we are children not that we are those grown-up people who won't help us out as they ought and who understand us so badly the colonel still much dissatisfied growled how about waiting we will wait answered little alice taking nettie's hand in hers and looking up to the sky we will wait ever constant and true till the times have got so changed as that everything helps us out and nothing makes us ridiculous and the fairies have come back we will wait ever constant and true till we are eighty ninety or one hundred and then the fairies will send us children and we will help them out poor pretty little creatures if they pretend ever so much so we will dear said nettie ashford taking her round the waist with both arms and kissing her and now if my husband will go and buy some cherries for us i have got some money in the friendliest manner i invited the colonel to go with me but he so far forgot himself as to acknowledge the invitation by kicking out behind and then lying down on his stomach on the grass pulling it up and chewing it when i came back however alice had nearly brought him out of his vexation and was soothing him by telling him how soon we should all be ninety as we sat under the willow tree and ate the cherries fair for alice shared them out we played at being ninety nettie complained that she had a bone in her old back and it made her hobble and alice sang a song in an old woman's way but it was very pretty and we were all merry at least i don't know about merry exactly but all comfortable there was a most tremendous lot of cherries and alice always had with her some neat little bag or box or case to hold things in it that night was a tiny wine glass so alice and nettie said they would make some cherry wine to drink our love at parting each of us had a glassful and it was delicious and each of us drank the toast 
our love at parting. The Colonel drank his wine last, and it got into my head directly, that it got into his directly. Anyhow, his eyes rolled immediately after he had turned the glass upside down, and he took me on one side and proposed in a hoarse whisper that we should cut him out still. How did he mean? I asked my lawless friend. Cut our brides out, said the Colonel, and then cut our way without going down a single turning, bang to the Spanish main. We might have tried it, though I didn't think it would answer. Only we looked round and saw that there was nothing but moonlight under the willow tree, and that our pretty, pretty wives were gone. We burst out crying. The colonel gave in second, and came to first, but he gave in strong. We were ashamed of our red eyes, and hung about for half an hour to whiten them. Likewise, a piece of chalk round the rims, I doing the colonel's and he mine, but afterwards found in the bedroom looking-glass not natural, besides inflammation. Our conversation turned on being ninety. The colonel told me he had a pair of boots that wanted soling and healing, but he thought it hardly worth while to mention it to his father, as he himself should so soon be ninety, when he thought shoes would be more convenient. The colonel also told me, with his hand upon his hip, that he felt himself already getting on in life and turning rheumatic, and I told him the same. And when they said at our house at supper, they are always bothering about something, that I stooped, I felt so glad. This is the end of the beginning part that you were to believe most. End of The Trial of William Tinkling Written by himself at the age of eight years By Charles Dickens Read by Linda Siano